I would do things of great value, receive great abundance, having the time of my life. And that is my challenge to myself every single day is to be purpose-driven but passion-fueled. Welcome to the Healer Dealer Podcast. This is an invitation to be inspired, get curious, expand and empower your own gifts through conversations with the modern healers of our time. The only way to heal ourselves is to deal with it. I'm your Healer Dealer, Diana Zalicki. So excited you're here. Let's get started. Okay, so I have Miss Lindsay Alive, who is a next level unicorn trainer, transformational coach, literally taking people and their businesses beyond what they're even thinking that they're capable of. Would that be a good summary? That's a great summary. But you're like so much more. There's so much. We could go on for like an hour just with your intro. So is there anything else, if somebody's never heard of you that I've not already said, that you feel would be a good way to summarize Lindsay Alive? Well, what I'm really obsessed with saying now is that I'm just here to share love and light. So that's my purpose. And the way that I do it is through some of the ways that that we already talked about, definitely doing 17 years of transformational leadership coaching work, speaking internationally on different stages, writing, just wrote a book. So really any way that I feel called to uh, share love and light in the world is what I'm all about. So many different job titles, many different modalities in my toolkit, but the overarching theme is all about being love and light and creating, being the vessel and the vehicle to help other people tap into their own love and light. I love that so much. And I think I have an even, and this, I would call myself out saying snobbalicious, affectionately snobby. I have even more of a deeper respect for the work you do because I feel like you started in what we're quote unquote supposed to do. You know, you, you had this high power job, you were like super ambitious and then you experienced the burnout from that. And then that led into this whole, um, whole domino effect of you like creating your own reality. Absolutely. Every single thing that I share comes from my own experience. So I consider myself to be my own social experiment. (laughs) I'm out there on the fridge of the human experience, exploring, trying, failing, leaping off every cliff I can find, more recently learning how to rest and recharge and receive. Is that your new cliff, do you feel? It, It is literally an edge for me. It is the scariest part for me to just stop and rest. It's foreign, it feels awkward, it feels, yes, like definitely hands down, learning to rest, learning to receive, the whole uh, expression and receiving of pleasure for the sake of pleasure, this is like next level edgy for me. I'm, I'm getting much better at it, I have to say, on the arc of, of where I have been to where I am now, but yes, for sure. So when I say leaping off a cliff, it doesn't always look like adrenaline junkie. It used to all the time. Now, that's really, really edgy for me. And, and definitely having experienced times of burnout multiple times in my life at di- different causes of the burnout, different lessons that needed to be learned the importance of creating our own realities is very visceral and very, very real for me. And the suffering that I see in the world and that people come to me with is also very real for me. So it sounds also fun and bumper stickery to be like, create your own reality, manifest, bring it all in. But the, the contrast that drives people, I think, to make the necessary changes to take the leaps and do the scary things to step out of their boxed in lives, it usually does come from some sort of dark times, the dark valley of the soul, you know, the the burnout, the depression, the anxiety. These are the things that, that people more and more every day actually are coming to me with and presenting with. So. Do you feel people are more ready to show up for this work with you because 
now I feel as a collective, people are really becoming more rooted into how they're feeling, whether they're consciously aware of it or not. Mm -hmm. So they're probably, I don't know if you found this in the work you do that people are maybe more anxious, more depressed. Like people are really like, before we were able to shield it. Mm -hmm. And it feels now as a collective, people are literally being forced Mm -hmm. to look at their stuff Mm -hmm. more than ever before. Do you think that? Definitely. And I've, I've really talked to a lot of people because I'm fascinated by it because I have never in 20 years of studying human potential being invited into literally thousands of people's lives and stories. I have never seen such an ep- epidemic of suffering, of people expressing anxiety, depression, feeling lost, feeling numb. Um, and so I've really, really taken it on as a place of inquiry. I've done a lot of research. I've done my own um, anecdotal research, talking with people. And I think it's a it's a multifaceted thing that that we're facing right now. I think partly there's a greater awareness around mental health, so I think people are maybe better able to articulate what's happening for them. The emotional intelligence, the value of emotions in and of themselves, I think has become a much more widely accepted way of being. You know, I remember starting this work 20 years ago. Emotional intelligence, positive psychology was not even around then. It started to come in sort of three, four years into my my studies and my exploration. Now, now everybody's talking about emotional intelligence awareness. You have collective movements like the consciousness movement. Yoga has become a very prevalent part of people's lives. Meditation, all of these influences helping people to gain more self-awareness, more comfort with discussion around emotions. As well, I think there's a generational component. I see the younger generations coming up being so much more open, so much more emotionally articulate, emotionally available, emotionally honest than the older generation. So I find that really exciting. I think that's definitely shifting the collective consciousness as well. And then the final thing I think is that is that a lot of the, the normalized human behavior is very dysfunctional and harmful. For example, people being on their phones 24-7, the isolation from community, from tribe, from nature, which has been happening for, for generations, but I think the acceleration of technology and um, especially the flip side of, I think, the younger generations generally being more emotionally available. There's also a whole shift in human interaction and the lack of human connection. You know, people, you know, everybody's showing up at a dinner and pulling out their phones as opposed to making eye contact and conversations, all the dating apps. Now everything is all online, interfacing with screens as opposed to, again, the eye contact, the exchange of energy. So I think that it's a multifaceted situation, all of which is spiraling towards a more acute collective pain and suffering that is unnecessary. Do you feel, um, as people that are listening may not know this about you, which I love and I'm a little obsessed with, that you created your own reality in living in different countries throughout the year. Mm-hmm. You live in Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. You live in a beautiful little cottage some ma- magical, charming lake, right, in Canada? I don't know the name. Everything in Canada is magical, wonderful. I don't <laughs> And then in the Alps in France, is that right? Yes, that, that has been the cycle. How has living in those different, completely different environments you f- see affecting you and your family with 
you know, the rise of like social media and just what we're just talking about, like being connected and the sense of community. I think it's everything. My wish for every human on the planet is if they can ever have the opportunity to travel. Like I've said many times, I would sell everything I have and live out of a suitcase if only to afford to travel. I think that seeing the contrast, seeing the ways that other people in other places live is the most expansive thing that we can possibly do. It really puts things in perspective and that's part of the reason I have this bird's eye view, this eagle eyes view of North American society specifically is because I I don't live there most of the time anymore. And so now when I come back, I'm, I'm astounded at the new normalized behaviors. But that contrast of living in and visiting different cultures, different countries, different versions of what normal is, I think is absolutely essential. So for example, I was just at a spa all morning and spending a lot of time in Europe, which I'm obsessed with it's a lifestyle there. The spa is not a thing like in North America, we have this grinding, hustling, obsessively overworking and overachieving thing going on. And I was the queen of that castle for many, many years. It's an entirely different perspective when you go to different cultures, different Asian cultures. It's um, the art of receiving, of nurturing, of self-care, of well-being are normalized, institutionalized within their cultures. That's just one example. Living in Costa Rica, for me, is profoundly influential in the connection to nature, for example. Also, I grew up in northern Ontario. That's where my lake is. Oh, okay. Now I, now I know the actual northern location. Instead of talking with my hands up, charming lake. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, Sault Ste. Marie is the town I grew up in. It's on the north shore of Lake Huron, right where Lake Superior joins to Lake Huron. The nature is wild and expansive and raw. And although it's entirely different from Costa Rica, it's got a very similar feeling that you are very clear that you are a guest in the home of Mother Earth. There is no question that humans are in any way dominating the Earth. And that's been, again, a profoundly impactful influence on how I see the world. And now specifically in the work that I do, there's a whole movement around rewilding. And so in contrast to everybody flipping out their phones and and being disconnected and people can't even make eye contact anymore in a lot of different places and circles, it's really truly about stripping away. And Costa Rica is also so so hot, you literally strip away everything (laughs) unnecessary. Get your feet in the sand, get your connection with with the local community with each other the pace of life is slower the ritual around nature for example uh, on my stories I often will post my morning oh can I just say I am a huge geek fan of morning rituals so could you just like entertain me and share with everybody oh my god what your morning ritual is and how that changes based upon your location um yes okay so give me the top three ones the best give it give it i love it so my my mantra is we move our bodies to quiet our minds to tap into spirit so it, it involves all of those components wherever i am now in costa rica i'll give you my current ritual which is my most common because i'm there most months of the year so i wake up and immediately go right down to the ocean nature i think is the most critical thing for me to feel connected to get grounded i had a really long eight hour conversation once with john gray who wrote men are from mars women are from venus and picked his brain i had this like private master class with him one time at an event actually at a fest and he shared with me something that was really fascinating which was that men and women biochemically require different forms of meditation 
So while I do do a seated meditation often, it's not every day, I actually prefer a walking meditation. I will also usually put music on in the morning, in the kitchen, dance a little bit, moving our bodies. So if if you're not somebody who really loves the seated meditation, I hear a lot of people judging themselves like, I know, I just can't sit still. I know it's really bad. No. So walking meditation, I bring my little dog, again, animals, nature, any kind of connection to that. And then journaling is a huge practice I have. And I... I, I would say I journal most days. I'm not I'm not an OCD ritualized you must journal every day. I used to be massively overly disciplined and restrictive in all of my behaviors. So my current practice is actually one of really following my intuition in even in my ritual because I used to get very dogmatic with myself about it must look a certain way. And so tapping really into being inspired, being in spirit. My morning ritual involves listening to what is being asked of me by my body, by my soul, by my mind. And so it may involve journaling if I'm processing something or I'm feeling inspired and I want to capture something, but it always will involve nature. I always also, I would say five to six days a week, have a very rigorous physical practice. For me, it's yoga or I have certain movement practices. Now, quick question. While you're doing your morning ritual and you have four children, Mm -hmm. are you making sure that they're taken care of first before you do? So you make sure they're all set and then you go do your morning ritual? Yeah, this is a really important question. And it has varied over the years. So when they were really little, I used to just get up before them. The early morning rise, you can't get around it in my opinion. I think if you really want to take your transformation seriously, if you want to start your day at a most elevated state, and you hear this across almost every wisdom tradition, every um, human potential speaker, author, researcher, just getting up early in the morning before everybody else is up. They even say the 4 a.m. club is the yogi, the, the ancient time. I haven't gotten there yet, but when they were really little, I was definitely up in the fives. I get a little more grace now because they're older, so I can leave them to start getting their breakfast started. I've also done things like hiring um, people to help me out in the mornings, prioritizing my morning time. So we have caregivers that will come and help us, uh, housekeepers, etc. I will just schedule them to come. I have one that comes, was coming before the kids were old enough at 6 a.m. so that I could go down to the beach and know that the kids had their breakfast getting started so that I could come back in after that if they were up early enough and mm-hmm. know that, that things were happening. So really prioritizing that as opposed to having somebody come at like 8 or 9 in the morning. So really making conscious choices to have your morning ritual be a priority. When they were really little, my baby, she's so sweet. I would get up at 5.30 or 5, and it was like she had a radar. She would know exactly when I was getting up, even though she would normally not get up until an hour later. It's like she knew when I wanted that alone time. And it was part of my practice because at first I was a little bit like, oh, like I just wanted to sit and meditate all by myself. And then I had a huge realization that that was my practice. And so instead what I did was surrender and embrace the chaos and had her just sit on my lap. And sometimes it would only be two minutes or three minutes that she would sit still. She was only two years old. But I now look back on those times as being the most sacred. And she was my little my little Buddha. She would come in for, for a couple of years. She doesn't do it anymore. And, and this too shall pass. So as it was happening, while I would have probably died to have a few moments to myself, I look back now at the sacredness of that imprinting with her and having her curled up. So I, instead of a meditation, I called it a cuddle-tation. Oh, that's so cute. And I just it. And I literally had a practice of touching her skin instead of meditating and going off into spirit like what the books say we're supposed to do. I reframe my morning practice to be being mindfully 
present to her and touching her skin and smelling her and using my senses and, and the touch. And then also Thich Nhat Hanh has the hugging meditation that he talks about in the Buddhist tradition. So really being creative and inspired by embracing wherever we are in our lives to incorporate it. I, I do live on the beach, so the ocean is there. I used to not live on the beach. I used to live in downtown Toronto, right in the heart of the concrete jungle. So what I did there was I was a runner at the time and not into yoga at all. So now in hindsight, I could tell you that running was my meditation, my morning ritual, but it involved being in nature. I would always go outside. I would not listen to music or podcasts. I would let myself be in stillness and I would again use nature. And I think in every major city, it's possible to find nature, whether it's Central Park. In Toronto, we have an amazing valley system with bike paths. Connection to nature, I think, is is the most critical thing, even in the context of a city but making it a priority to be aware of the nature around you. So as I was running, I would be looking around at the changing seasons. I would look for birds. I would look at the clouds and make that connection to nature. I think that is a huge way to connect. To Let spirit. me ask this as far as, cause I know you talk a lot about perspective and the taking those small steps to create your own reality. If somebody's listening and they are in a big city, they don't feel like there's much nature around them at all. They don't have the freedom of their own schedule and they're feeling a little bit stuck and overwhelmed with what we discussed earlier with, you know, all the Instagram quotes like design your own life and da, 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 da. And it's like, you know, there's that kind of subtle pressure on people that they should be able to just pick up and go. But what would you recommend to somebody that it's like, you know, if we're going to break it down to the small steps to get there mm-hmm. for somebody not to feel if they feel stuck and they're in the story mm-hmm. of I live in a big city, there is no nature around me. I am so exhausted. I do not have time to go running. I do not have time. I'm like going from building to building. What would you say to them as a way to lovingly shift their perspective mm-hmm. to be able to create the start to begin to create their own reality? I love this question. Most the vast majority of my clients that I work with in coaching are those people that live in cities. I was that person for many, many, many years. It's only recently that I've moved to Costa Rica. So, uh, you know, people come down to my retreats and I can give them these, these rituals, but I'm always, always, always trying to make it as practical and usable in a large city setting. Some of the most powerful things I think about is multi-purpose activities versus multitasking. So the running from meeting to meeting to meeting, don't add an extra 15 different things into your schedule. It's probably not going to happen. How can you reframe what you're already doing in a way that is multi-purpose achieving? Are you talking about work-life integration versus balance? I might be. We're going to go right on. Continue. Oh my God. I'm loving it. I just realized I was like, oh, oh, oh yeah, that's what, I, oh yeah, it's happening. Right oh now. yeah. Oh my God. I love it. Okay, I'm going to stop talking. I'm listening. My current obsession is walking meetings. Take that meeting outside. Tell your friends, let's go grab a coffee. Let's walk for the next hour. And there are very few things, I think, short of maybe a whiteboarding brainstorming session that you can't do while you're walking and talking. Also, research shows that while you're walking, you're more creative. You have bigger picture thinking, and it's a better way to connect with other humans. That's one example. Another example is getting off the subway two stops too early, walking that little extra bit. Any amount of time you can get in the sunlight is mission critical. I know a lot of people, specifically northern climates, where it's dark all winter right now, they're in the depths of it, as much sunlight as you can get. So instead of sitting at your desk for your lunch hour, make a conscious effort. And it it does require busting some old paradigms and some old fears about FaceTime. I used to do this like 
nerdy, nerdy trick of I used to go in really early when I was in management consulting and put my sweater on the back of my chair and open my computer to make it look like, because I, ha- I was legitimately there early in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I would sneak out and go to the gym or go for a run. Oh, that's a really good idea. I know it was so geeky, but it worked for me because I was in a culture which was very FaceTime. I do, I, I do find this, I have a lot of friends that are in that culture and I always get so defensive for them when I know that they're working so hard and often, more often than not, the work continues late nights for them outside of the office. And I always feel defensive because I'm like, you're busting your ass. Who cares if you're actually there getting interrupted most of the day instead of just like focusing on your work. And it's so interesting how that's so ingrained in our culture. Because even when I started my own business about seven years ago, and I remembered how, you know, as far as being productive, I would like make myself work, quote unquote, like an eight hour day. But I was really not like, like I was kind of like, doing like BS, like, and then it's like, now I, I'm still figuring out the way I'm most productive of like, oh, I'm focusing hardcore for like two, three hours. Yes. And then that's it. But I got a lot of stuff done. Yeah. That is another whole conversation about productivity. There's all kinds of research about working 60 hours a week or more for three consecutive weeks straight. After three weeks straight, it drastically your productivity drastically declines. So thinking that working longer hours is going to make you more productive is absolutely false. We know that the productive number of hours in a day is far fewer than what most people are working in any kind of setting, never mind these insane careers which I was in, of the 12, 14-hour days. Sleep, we know all kinds of uh, research now around sleep, around the benefits of exercise, but really it's an exercise of self-empowerment. We tend to get into these cultures generally and give our power away to the system, to the man in quotation marks. Do you feel like that's where we get imbalanced within trying to have work-life balance? Yeah, it's... it's, uh, it's a continuation, really, of what's indoctrinated to us in in the school systems, in the medical systems. It's, it's, it's giving our power away to the system and seeing the way things are done, even if we know it may not be right or correct. So a lot of the work I do with people is empowering them to do... My practice is to do one thing a day that scares me. So do one thing a day oh, I that love scares that. you. If it scares you to leave at noon and go to a, a, a lunchtime yoga class, I would challenge you to do that. And then observe how you feel all afternoon. My absolute hypothesis is you're probably infinitely more productive, awake, creative all afternoon if you take that hour and go to your yoga class or go for a run or step out and go have some human contact with another human. Another great practice would be to start having, for example, face-to-face meetings with colleagues or people in your workplace. Go have 15, 20-minute coffees, ideally do it outside and start to notice the difference. We know human contact is one of the key predictors of living longer, happier lives. So again, people get into these hamster wheel lifestyles of get up, go to work, da da da, on their screens, not talking to anybody. Tiny little habits of saying once a week, I'm going to make a point of a 30 minute coffee, even with somebody different each week. Number one, you're broadening your relationship network while you're there. You're getting the human contact while you're there. And ideally you're even going outside, having a coffee, going for a walk or a juice, whatever it is that you want to do. Those are tiny little baby step things that people can do that will automatically the other thing is the addiction to busyness that's another whole rabbit hole to go down a lot of work around what are you getting from feeling busy a lot of us have these very deeply ingrained beliefs that I'm only lovable if I'm achieving if I'm overachieving if I'm busy I'm only worthy those are some great places to look because I believe a lot of these behaviors are not necessarily even externally imposed 
they're very much often running from our hungry ghosts. I completely agree. It's interesting though, too. I find just back to loop back in with, you know, talking about spa and self-care. I do feel still, I'm really big on self-care and I do feel a lot of judgment from people that I know are not doing anything for themselves. So sometimes I feel like anything that's self-care, I just have to say I have a doctor's appointment. I like have a million doctor's appointments because people won't, it's very interesting. Like, um, cause it's, you know, we talk about filling up your cup and, you know, get from your overflow uh, that, you know, showing up better. It's just, it's very interesting to me. I, I love those, um, suggestions of doing something that scares you and it could be really small. It doesn't have to be this big epic thing. Um, but I love that. I do, for those other entrepreneurs out there, I do feel, okay, so I feel a lot of discussion I hear about, you know, um, next leveling, going out of your comfort zone. A majority of the conversation I personally hear this with is when somebody's like, let's say, full-time job, then they go freelance or start their own. It's always the initial start of a business that I always hear about, like, the fear, right? But when you're somebody that's, you know, you're constant, you're, you're, you have your own business and you're taking that to the next level. It's so fascinating to me, the different, as we're shifting ourselves and our businesses, how our own resistance shifts along with that. So you're constantly like trying to readapt, catch up with your own stuff. Mm-hmm. I just, so what is way, cause obviously you're somebody that's been doing this for like 20 plus years and you're human and you're next level and your whole being is about being next level with the unicorns. <laughs> what is something that if, what is advice that you wish you would get for your next level mm. in experiencing the resistance that you may be experiencing? I, I think the, the greatest lesson I've learned and I would, I would give the advice to myself and to anyone else listening is to just become comfortable being uncomfortable. It never goes away. The fear never goes away. The anxiety never goes away. It is whatever your your shadow place of your drug of choice, your shadow place of choice is for me, it's anxiety. Whatever it is for you, if it's self-doubt or, or shame or guilt, it's really to me about can you love yourself in that state? Can you feel the fear and do it anyways? The fear doesn't go away. And, and the truth is, is that the more work we do, the deeper the work gets it never ends. If you choose to get on a path of growth and expansion and commitment to service, the work never ends. And so the practice is really to me about falling in love with the practice, with the journey, with the exploration, and really getting to a place where when you get those triggers or you get that next level of whether it's upper limiting or self-doubt or addiction to busy or insert any number of of things that may crop up as you're stepping out of your comfort zone it's about developing the witness consciousness and the coming from the place of curiosity oh i was gonna say i just love everything that you talk about and just following you and your the events that you do and the retreats you do the thing that really stands out to me about you is this pure joy childlike wonder wrapped in fucking wisdom oh thank you (laughs) it's like it's like you get shit done but you have a good time oh yeah but not in a like 
fashion witch like you're gonna have a good time no like you like are in there yeah i'm in joy you are in joy oh so good yes in joy i am and that's a practice and i have worked really because i used to be the most serious jaw clenching had a mouth guard because i was i can't even imagine this freaking serious all the time and intense (laughs) and i mean i've been there i can't even imagine this my hair was like pulled back in the tightest ponytail all the time which was such a metaphor so this practice of pleasure of being in joy I take it very seriously and I think one of my mantras is that life can be fun and easy if we let it be and I have taken that on and when I left management consulting years and years and years ago I made up my mind that I would never work another day of my life I would do things of great value receive great abundance having the time of my life and that is my challenge to myself every single day is to be purpose driven but passion fueled And, and this is true if you look at people who have done, and I I will also say that this joy comes through many deep, dark valleys of darkness. It does not, it's not a bumper sticker or an I am statement that you just flip a switch and you're like, I am joy, I am happy. It's the deepest clearing out of the shadow work that I have to also give myself full credit for doing always, all day, every day, the work never ends. But as we face our fears, as we clear our shadows, heal our wounding, clear our traumas, get the support we need from teachers, uh, sisters and brothers, uh, healers, whoever it may be, we clear our capacity to be in a state of joy, which is our natural state, to be in love, in joy, I think is our true state. And again, if you look across every wisdom tradition, they will say the same thing. If you look at the most profound healers, teachers, the Dalai Lama, all these Thich Nhat Hanh, all these beautiful Gandhi historical figures, the, the look of childlike wonder in their eyes is palpable. And I think that's really when you get to that place of ultimate surrender to the divine dance and you really surrender to spirit, to your path, to your highest self, however you want to articulate it, it can be so fun because you realize you're really not in charge at all and you're really just along for the ride and so you might as well enjoy the ride and if you're not, then that's a good indication that there's some nice little bit of healing work for you to do there so that you can clear that stickiness, that little bit of tar that might be in your vessel that allows any kind of darkness to stick to you and once that's cleared, then there's nothing left but the vessel for joy and divine love. Oh, so, so good. What is lighting you up right now? Mm, that's such a good question. In this exact moment is I've gotten this, I've been away for a few days. I was speaking at a conference at the Bliss Project and I'm about to go back. I have a retreat coming up. My work right now, and this is going to sound really nerdy, but really getting some really powerful systems and processes in place. It's like the vessel is open and getting ready to to get into that um that discernment and that focus, which doesn't sound sexy at all, but it's it's lighting me up now. I mean, that's the work. I mean, to be able to have that be exciting. I mean, that is what's going to allow you to do your work. Exactly, and it's uh, it, it's it's the foundation. It's laying the foundation for the expansion in, in the containment, so that I can fly and be truly creative. And 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 so it's interesting how you ebb and flow between. For many years, as I was refueling myself from from burnout, really, uh, from a lot of being a mom, and that takes years. It it literally took me five years to to refill myself and replenish my coffers and recalibrate all the the variables in my life so that I was in a, a much more sustainable and even filling myself up every single day. I just now feel that I'm ready to 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 move back into that really um, powerful 
focus on the work and the creation from a very deliberate, grounded, um, empowered place. Oh, I love it. And then as you're talking, I'm like, I have another question that just popped up. Like, what is something that has, where have you surprised yourself with delight this last year? Oh, that's a good question. Um, delight. That's a place I love to live in is delight. I think that in January, I will say this is where the most delight has come because I had a, a busy year and I had a lot of inner work that I was doing all year. And January ended up being a month where I was traveling a lot for work and I was speaking at some really exciting big global events, but also they happened to be on ski hills and on mountains. And I was living, talk about creating your own reality. I, I'm obsessed with skiing. I think skiing for me is about as close to God as I can get. And I can get close to God in a lot of different realms, but skiing is like right up there. And I found myself speaking to leaders who are doing epic, amazing things in the world who were, who were really hungry to hear what I had to share. And then right after finishing these really in-depth, soul-connecting, soul-expanding dialogues with these epic, beautiful humans strapping on my skis and flying down the mountain with these same people and understanding that as we were riding up the chairlift and flying down the hill like seven-year-old little kids, the conversations were continuing and the the profound nature of the the quote-unquote work I'm doing in the world continued. So this idea of delighting in delight and pleasure as a practice and life can be fun and easy if you let it be, getting away from your desk, following your passions, this all unravels for me when I follow my intuition I meet somebody who I connect with it's always a question of alignment of frequency am I connecting with this person vibrationally which sounds a little bit woo woo but it's like follow the good juju is what I say when you just know you you're resonating with somebody that's how every amazing thing in my life and career has unfolded when I've leapt into the unknown seemingly insane scenarios that made no sense at the time um, so the delight in, in the, like the shit works, I'm like, Oh my God, it works. <laughs> I love it. Oh my gosh, Lindsay, I just want to take a second and really honor you and like take a second to really share appreciation for the work you're doing, how you show up for everybody, how you show up for yourself. I find it wildly inspiring that you've created your own reality while also creating a beautiful family, that you're constantly pushing yourself to the next level, that you're constantly in a state of pure joy and curiosity, and that you carry the hard times with grace. Mm. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm just delighting in our connection. (laughs) Oh my God, this is so amazing. So grateful for you. So grateful for this opportunity and the incredible work you're doing in the world and the light, the beautiful, radiant light that you are in the world. Can I just say, sorry, bro, the last time we saw each other and I talked to you, now I just remember. It's kind of making me laugh, cry. It was in, I think, 2015 in Croatia, and it was the end, like, closing ceremony for Awesomeness Fest. And we were sitting across from each other. And, like, this was, like, people that weren't there are not going to get it. But, like, bawling. Everybody, like, stared into my eyes. What do you see? And there was something you said to me that it's funny because it's definitely an archetype I'm pulling in this year is you said warrior goddess. Uh-huh. And so I'll never forget that as we were like snot crying, everybody said, but it was beautiful. So you thank are. you. That is who you are. <laughs> thank you so much. So grateful for your time and energy. And I like cannot wait to share you with the world. Thank you. Bessels. That's a wrap for today on the Healer Dealer podcast. 
If you like this episode, it would mean the world to me if you could leave a review, let me know what you loved about it, and pass along to your family and friends. Thank you so much for being here. Hope to see you next time. Cheers. Cheers.